Hello, everyone. Well, I'd like to say it's good to see you. Uh, in some senses, that's true, at least in our uh, spiritual mind's eye. Uh, we are gathered together. But there is something about physical presence that I think we all long for. And I know we're looking forward to the day when that's going to happen, where we can be together, where we can greet, where we can hug, where we can say encouraging words. Uh, but for now, uh, we have to rest content that this is the way it's going to be. Hopefully not for the too distant future, but uh, we'll find resolution uh, before too long. But in the meantime, I know a lot of us are struggling with the fact that uh, we can't meet and we can't really do a whole lot. Even going to the grocery store, it seems like uh, it's a struggle to go inside. You have to wait in line. Uh, you have to get your temperature tested uh, in some places. And uh, it's just very inconvenient. Uh, but like the Bible says, uh, this too shall pass. Well, as uh, we begin our time together, um, we're, we're in the first week after Easter. And historically, that's been a pretty significant thing uh, that uh, people have uh, spent a lot of time reflecting on. Uh, it is something that is a transition from the Lent season, which is 40 days, to something that the church has called Eastertide, and that is the 50 days that uh, exist following uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And it is a longer period of time uh, because the reality of the resurrection, I believe, uh, takes some time to soak in. And I want to explore that uh, in this message. Uh, but as we begin, I want to take uh, this moment and I want to invite the Lord into our collective presence and trust that as we invite him uh, and he brings us into his presence, uh, there can be uh, that reality that is unseen uh, come alive in our midst. Would you bow with me? Our Father, as we begin this first day of the week, it is the the first Sunday after Easter, and it is a time of celebration where we acknowledge that your son is risen. And as the reality of that begins to soak in, uh, we trust, Father, that it will change uh, everything ultimately about our lives and who we are in Christ and what we have to look forward to. But in between the now and the not yet, we just ask for your help uh, to be able to endure this season of mystery where there are so many uh, things that create confusion and uncertainty, while at the same time we are a hopeful people. So we anticipate that the road of head, uh, head rather, with you uh, in the middle of it uh, will be one that um, we can look to not in a sense of fear and, and um, reservation, but rather a sense of anticipation and expectation. Father, I also want to lift up uh, some things pastorally. I want to lift before your throne our uh, workers that are responsible for the care of people that are struggling with uh, health issues and thinking primarily of doctors and nurses and caregivers that come alongside people that 
are in a very desperate place, especially those who are suffering from COVID-19. And I just pray for your protection to be upon those who give care. And I pray, Father, for those that are suffering, that you would give them strength and healing. I pray for prison inmates who live in a state of of anxiousness because they are confined to a space that uh, requires them to possibly be more vulnerable to the passing of this of this um, illness. And I just ask, Father, that you protect them. I pray, Father, for our people that as we are quarantined in our homes or we uh, get out, but briefly, that you would protect them and watch over them as well. And I thank you, Father, for being that person in our lives who never leaves us or forsakes us. I pray as well for um, our good friend, Rosemary Ziegler, and the struggle that she's been going through. I pray that you help her, Lord, to be able to find uh, strength in you and peace. And if this is a season where you may or may not be calling her home, I pray that you just give her the grace uh, to go through whatever it is that she she's facing. And I pray uh, for uh, a doctor out there named Mark who is struggling right now with uh, COVID-19. And I just pray for your healing touch to be upon him. I ask Father that as we go through this season together in our own spaces, that the unifying factor would be your presence. And so as we seek to align with you, uh, help us as we do that by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we uh, take uh, a few minutes and we spend some time in God's word, I hope that it'll be a blessing for you as it has been for me uh, in just going through a time of preparation. There's been a lot of things that um, I've been looking forward to uh, besides gathering with you guys, uh, just doing normal things. Uh, one of them um, has been just getting a normal haircut. Uh, so I thought I'd join the ranks of the COVID-19 cut crowd. And I saw a YouTube video and I figured that my hair is getting long and it needs to be cleaned up. So I'm going to try it uh, myself for the first, well, actually the second time. Uh, the first time was as a kid with some scissors and uh, that didn't go so well. And I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm a little older now and I, little bit more uh, um, in control of how I manage things and I'll give it a shot. So I went to the bathroom, got the trimmer out and began to cut. And the more I cut, the more I realized I created, uh, uh, well, not a very good situation with my hair. And by the time I got done, I looked at it and I thought I'm going to be wearing a hat for the first time and preaching a sermon. Well, my wife came in and she rescued me the best that she could. And I would say that, uh, thankfully, you're looking at the front of, of, of my haircut because uh, unlike the, 
the mullet, which is the business in the front and the party in the back, this is probably more like, uh, well, business in the front and train wreck in the back. Uh, but by the time you see me, it'll probably all be sorted out. But I'm sure you've got your own stories about how this thing is challenging you in different ways. And the thing about the COVID-19 haircut is I realized something that I, I can do just fine on the front part, but I, I need somebody to help me out with those places that I, I, I can't manage myself. And it really is, in a lot of ways, a metaphor for how it is that we need each other in whatever form. And as um, we just think about that for a second, uh, I'd like for us to consider how uh, Easter uh, is an expression of people together post-resurrection, celebrating that reality and recognizing that there is a change that has happened in the ages that centers on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and even the ascension that led to the distribution of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to each have a place in the body where we complement one another with our giftings and our strengths, and we need one another. But we're living in that time of in-between right now, and it is, it is strange at best and I have to tell you that Easter was very difficult for me last week. I, it was the first time that I'd ever gone through it without celebrating it with other people. And to be quite honest with you, when I finished up the message last week, I just went in the parlor and I just started praying. And I just felt very empty inside. And it was really a hard moment for me. I think everything about the COVID-19 experience just came crashing down. And it was simply because of the confusion that the moment creates that was in such contradiction to uh, the reality of the celebration of the resurrection. I have so many rich memories of Easter with you guys and with other believers in the past that to me, it, it created a sense of loss and it, it was hard. Uh, and I think that um, I'm probably not the only one. I'm guessing that other pastors around the world have had that same gut feeling that there's just something weird about this moment. And maybe that as well. Um, and I, I kept thinking about that verse from 2 Timothy 1.4. Uh, it says, as I remember your tears and mine alongside yours, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Well, hopefully that day will come soon. Uh, and as we celebrate uh, the post-Easter experience, I want to focus on Easter tide, which is a word that we use very little because we focus so much on Lent and it seems like we do Lent and then we do Easter and then it's done. But Easter tide is a way of saying that Jesus shows up after his resurrection. And the very first thing that he does isn't just declare, oh, now I'm the king and I'm resurrected, but because of the nature of the Savior that we worship, he starts the process of showing up with the people that he spent the most time with while he was here on earth. 
the people that he spent three years of ministry with, that he shed tears with, the people that witnessed his arrest and his and his death and everything that was traumatizing about that experience and how all the hopes vanished. And in the wake of all of that, the confusion that was created. And I think that there are some snapshots in scripture <clears throat> that would be good for us to pay attention to because I think that in the moment that you and I are in right now, where we are facing uh, a weirdness and an uncertainty and having problems making sense out of things and feeling a little bit guilty about not going to church and being with our people. All of those things <clears throat> were bundled into Jesus's post-resurrection experiences that um, are described in the gospels, uh, especially uh, as we're looking at it today the Gospels of John and um, of Luke. And there is something about the assurance that the people who loved him so much and felt so disillusioned by what had happened in seeing him <clears throat> die on a cross, that he needed their care. And he wanted to show them, first of all, that they were his number one priority over everything else. And we see a few scenes where that happens in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. It describes a scene where uh, Mary, who uh, was so devoted to Jesus, went to that place where his body lay and to, to do what was necessary to attend to it, doing the appropriate things to give honor to that body. And as she did, she also knew in the back of her mind that, well, it's over. And yet dutifully, in that place of deep emptiness and that great loss that she felt, she did everything that she felt was necessary uh, to attend to him in deep respect and deep love. And I would guess gratitude, but her emotion was emptiness and it was grief. And as you go through these stories, you can look at them theologically and say, well, she was uh, a female. Uh, she was the first one to tell the good news that uh, Jesus rose from the dead. And you could talk about angels. You could unpack a lot of things. But as a pastor, I think it's important for us to pay careful attention to what was going on in her heart because we are people and our experience in this life has a broad range of emotions and many griefs griefs rather that we that we have to process in ways that we don't want to and so when jesus shows up <clears throat> it uh, it was an experience that involved some other disciples one was peter and the other one was the disciple whom Jesus loved and Mary's attending to the body and Peter shows up, he goes, he goes in, he, he doesn't see anything different or changed. And, and then he, 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 he walks out and there's not really much of a response, but she's taking time. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears and she doesn't recognize him at first. 
And as she's going through her grief process, he shows up. And I think that as we go through that place of emptiness, because I'm sure that during the course of this time that we've been quarantined, there's been a sense of feeling kind of empty. And <clears throat> sometimes when we're in that place, it's hard to trust that Jesus is going to show up. <clears throat> Matter of fact, it takes a lot of faith that when you're feeling that void inside your being, it takes a lot of faith to, 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 to trust that Jesus will. And in her case, in the emptiness of that moment, he did. He showed up. And then he took some time to, to just indicate that I am here with you in this place of loss and emptiness. And yet I want to assure you that my presence in this moment changes everything. And when we have emptiness in our lives, we can avoid it. We can deny it. We can try to find distractions to keep us from feeling it. But it's a very real thing. And in this story, um, I, if, if you want to take time to read it today, it's in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Jesus also tells her, don't, don't, because she reached out to touch him and he said, don't, don't touch me. And it wasn't that he didn't want to interact uh, with her because he was very expressive in that way. But I think he was indicating that post-resurrection, you're going to begin to relate to me in new and different ways. And it'll be less physically and more and more through our spiritual expression of faith and trust and deep awareness that he is with us. And so when we feel empty, we need to trust that if we ask Jesus to join us in that emptiness, that he will, and he did. And there's a second experience that I think parallels maybe what you and I are going through, and that's that feeling. And if I said it once, and my wife has said it once, we've said it a thousand times, this is weird. I can't make sense of what's going on. And, and, and it's sort of like you're getting all of these signals that are coming from this place and that place. And they're indicating to you that this is how you make sense of what's happening around you. But yet the signals contradict and conflict and they create hope. And then they create a sense of despair. And you just wonder, what does COVID-19 mean and what is the extent of its significance and how is it going to impact my uh, reality, both now and the time to come? And we are sense-making creatures, but this is weird and it doesn't make sense. And last week I referred to the people on the road to Emmaus and they're walking back from uh, a very dramatic uh, episode that lasted through the experience of Passover, and they're trying to make sense of it. And Jesus comes alongside them and begins to ask them some questions. And they, they share that 
they had one view of how they thought the world was supposed to work, and it was clearly defined by their connection to Jesus and the hope that they had in him. And then they had a sense that all the signals were saying to them right now that that isn't going to happen after all. And in that state of confusion and that sense of weirdness, there was a trauma that I think all of the people that were dedicated to Jesus felt. And as they witnessed the nails piercing his hands on the cross and his body writhing, it just traumatized them to a degree that I, I think uh, had a, would have a lasting effect on them. And these guys, in their sense, they had hopes, they had visions, they had dreams. And now they're just trying to figure it out. And Jesus, the loving person that he is, seeks them out. And he begins to help them make sense of what's happening. Holding what the scripture had to say about him. And as he did, their eyes, the scripture says, were opened and they felt a burning with, within them. And it was, it was the necessary tonic for the traumatization that had happened to their lives. And you may need to make some sense of things in your life like I do. Because things just don't make sense. And there are emotions that that creates. And there's a sense of the now and the not yet. That idea that even though we're having church online, there's going to come a time, but it's not yet that we're going to gather together. Even now we're living in this life here on earth in this way, but in the not yet we will live, live in a fully redeemed creation where we ourselves and all of our relationships will be what they need to be, but we're living in that in-between time of the now and the not yet. And that's a challenging place to be. And Jesus comes along when we're in that space and helps us to make sense of it. It's easy to try to trust in politicians, in leaders, in people that would say they have an answer. But you know, that's what they thought the Messiah would do on a political level whenever his, um, his, his, his coming was announced. And yet those expectations that trusted things on a political level didn't, didn't materialize in the way that they expected and many people fell away. And I think one way that Jesus says to make sense of everything is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that other stuff that doesn't make sense will be added in its right way in the appropriate time. So we start with him and maybe he's coming into your world in different ways and showing you through scripture how to make sense of a senseless situation. Here's a third thing. And that is John 21, one through 14. Um, and by the way, the reference for the road to Emmaus is Luke 24, 13 through 35. But I'm going to jump back to John 21, 1 through 14. Because there is another sense that is in the air by a group of people, and one in particular. And his thought was, I have betrayed or neglected the Lord. 
And maybe we have a sense that we've betrayed or we've neglected a vital relationship, and maybe it has been him. And this is a story of breakfast on the beach. And it's described as uh, a scene where the followers of Jesus and Peter in particular are trying to put their lives back together. They're going back to old routines that used to make sense to them and looking for an equilibrium in their being where they can just get on with their lives. And maybe you've uh, had that experience as well and you've attended to activities that you did before COVID-19 and said, I'm just going to do these for a while and try to get my sense of bearing back again because these are safe and and, uh, and and peaceful places. You know, for me, it's working in my garage or doing something around the yard and trying to distract myself by finding normalcy in that way. With these guys, it was just going back to the, the, the Sea of Galilee and putting your nets in the water and hoping that life could resume the way it did before Jesus said those, those two famous words, follow me. And the problem was it wasn't working. They weren't catching any fish. And life wasn't going back to that place where it had been before they started. And maybe that frustration uh, is shared with, with all of us as we've tried to go to those places as well. And what's so interesting about it is in their tiredness and their fatigue and their frustration, they smell something cooking on the beach and they see a man over there and he's just grilling some fish on the fire and he, and he calls them over. And when he does, they recognize that it's Jesus. And you can imagine what is going on in Peter's mind because he was so full of bluster and so full of, of confidence that he of all people would be the last to betray Jesus. And yet, He didn't betray him just once, but the scripture is very careful to describe that he betrayed him three times. And so you can imagine the weight of shame and guilt and heaviness that he felt. That sense of estrangement between him and Jesus as a result of what he had done. And that that overwhelming feeling of unworth and that a relationship that had once meant so much had been wrecked. And yet here's Jesus cooking fish on the shoreline and he's cooking it for them and especially for Peter. And he calls them over and they are tired and they're hungry and they are in pain and they can't really process what's going on. And there's Jesus making breakfast. How does it feel to be cared for in a practical way by Jesus with food? Now, we probably had people cook food for us and it's been a wonderful thing. And we know that as we think about Jesus, a lot of times it's high and exalted and majestic. But in this case, he's just acting as a caring servant and friend. And it is a gesture that says a lot. Even though you're feeling uncomfortable or unworthy or that you've made choices that you're ashamed of, or maybe you feel a sense of betrayal. And there's Jesus 
the gesture says a lot. He's loving as ever, open, emotionally available as ever. And perhaps for the first time since the ordeal, Peter is thinking, well, maybe there's a possibility that this relationship can be restored. And maybe prior to COVID-19, you're in that place with a person in your life, or maybe even the Lord. And you just felt like, well, I'll just have to mark that as a place in my storyline where I had that friendship or I had that relationship or I had a connection with the Lord and well, that's over now. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is the hope of the resurrection is a game changer and that nothing is settled until he says it's settled. And there is a relationship that needs to find healing. And so post-resurrection, he goes to Peter and he begins the process of healing. Maybe there's a relationship that you need to have repaired. And if you do, you need to ask Jesus to help you repair it post-resurrection. Because Easter is a time of hope in the things that we otherwise would consider impossible. Like bodies being reanimated and coming back from the dead. Here's the last one that I think is a res, uh, an act of restoration that Jesus was doing to help one more traumatized life. And that was the disciples that were locked away, just wondering, when are they going to come for us as insurrectionists, as people that betrayed either the religious establishment or the Roman government? And behind locked doors, there was Thomas, and we think of him as doubting Thomas. And I think it's important for us to process a little bit what happened in this event, because there's some, something inside of each of us that says, I want to trust what is going on right now, but I can't because I have mixed signals about what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. And I am not sure who I can trust. And what Jesus recognizes whenever we are in that place is that we have doubts. And sometimes there are locked doors that we create to keep ourselves safe and free from vulnerability. But those locked doors are also a type of prison that in our deepest doubt, we don't want to open ourselves up to anyone. And maybe in some cases, even the Lord. But there is a deeper part of ourselves in our soul, that place where God is present the most, that says, I really want to open up to the Lord, but I can't. Now, the thing I can tell you about Jesus is he's a gentleman. He will stand at the door and knock all day long at your, at, at, at your door, at your life. And he will, he will do the best that he can to try to persuade you to let him in. Being a gentleman, he's not going to force his way into your life, but he's going to wait for that opportune moment when you say, yeah, Jesus, it's okay. Come on in. But in this case, it's one of those exceptional places where Jesus says, I need to go through the locked door because I know that in your heart of hearts, you want to believe 
but you doubt so much it is keeping you imprisoned and you need to be rescued from that. And so what doors are locked in your life? What are you trying to protect yourself from that is keeping Jesus out? Well, Jesus establishes his presence by first of all saying peace. And it's a signal to all of those that see him manifest himself in that way, that this is a safe space. And as long as he's present, it always will be. And Thomas wasn't invited to doubt his doubts post-resurrection. To know that his doubts had a very warranted reason for being, but because of the resurrection, his doubts weren't, weren't, weren't um, how shall I say it? The doubts weren't substantive enough to justify their existence when the resurrected one was in the room. And Jesus said, I have come to bless you with the new hope that goes beyond your doubts. And maybe post-resurrection, you need to hear that the doubts that are keeping you safe maybe are creating a prison that keep the Lord out rather than open the Lord to let him in. And I would say, let him in. And the good news in all of these stories is Jesus is not offended, but he is deeply loving and caring of the people that were traumatized by what he had to go through and they had to go through when they saw him dying on that cross, when they saw him taking on the curse of our sin in all of its gore and all of its shame. And it was too much. And his first order of business was to just go into their world and to re-engage at the level where their minds were processing what was so important to them in the moment. And it could have been emptiness. It could have been that sense of betrayal. It could have been just doubt or whatever it is that you're going through that doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, I want to engage you there. And a lot of times our emotions are designed to help us engage with the thing that we don't want to deal with. And Jesus provides a safe place for us to go there to deal with it and to find healing. Now, the last thing that Jesus said in John 20 verses 19 through 29 is this. Why are you doubting? Can you not choose to believe? And as he's just underscoring the point, 
he's making he's making sure that the people that will be hearing this story are also kept in mind because he goes on to say blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe there's a special blessing for people that by design can only see Jesus through the eyes of faith. And that would be you and I. The stories that we hear, the faith that we practice, the prayers that connect us to the Lord, the fellowship that we enjoy, all of those intangible yet very real realities are a reminder of how that blessing begins to unfold into our world. And we are agents of blessing. Maybe you need to go to this space post-resurrection and find healing so that you can activate your faith and do whatever it is that God is prompting you to do in this moment of living in between the now and the not yet. Stop spending so much time on the news trying to make sense of what's going on because you won't. And try to spend more time with him to understand what is going on with his kingdom. And I assure you, he will show you. And maybe you didn't know him before. And his aim is not only to attend to the lives of the people that are part of his, his, his gathering, but to include as many people as he possibly can. And that may be some of you. It's an open invitation. And no matter what you're going through, He's willing to meet you there. Would you bow with me? Father, we are grateful for this time in your word as it reminds us of the gentle shepherd that your son was to those that were his sheep, that were so dedicated to, to him, and yet at the same time, were so traumatized by what they saw him experience. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you followed through on what they needed to hear so that when we go through trauma and when we go through those places, you reveal to us what we need to hear as we identify with different parts of the stories that I've shared. I pray for those that you are calling into your kingdom, that you would use this message to accomplish just that. And we thank you, Father, for this, second, for this first Sunday after Easter, and we celebrate it even though we aren't together, we celebrate it in spirit. And we long for that time when we can be together again as a church. And then when we can be together with you and your new creation. And all God's people said together, amen. Well, I'm going to take just a minute and uh, celebrate with you uh, what it is that really defines the relationship most significantly. And that is the time that we spend together at the Lord's table. Now, there's a table that um, is prepared for us in God's kingdom. And there's tables that are prepared for us every Sunday when we gather for worship. But as for right now, under the constraints that we have, we just gather at that spiritual table. Even though it is unseen, it is no less very real. And as we do that, we take a minute and we look at the body and maybe you just need a piece of bread from 
uh, your cupboard or uh, some juice that um, uh, is 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 non-fermented and if it is fermented just make sure you put limits on it and take these symbols and allow the Holy Spirit to give you a time of reflection and possibly think about the emptiness or the sense-making urge that you have that you can't control or that sense of betrayal or whatever it is that is the prevailing emotion in this season, which may be a season of grief for you as it has been for me. And then allow him to come to that space and heal you as we remember the body and the cup that symbolize his presence always with us and in us. Lord Jesus, just bless this loaf and this cup as we take it in a time of remembrance, in a time of renewal of the covenant that we have with you, and in a moment where we receive healing through the stripes that were given and the healing that we find through this body and this blood that we take together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends, well, as we end this time together, uh, don't, um, don't forget to share uh, however it is that you can, uh, the, the work that we're trying to do online. But also, uh, if you have an offering and you're wondering what to do with it, there is a box right outside the door that goes to the office uh, that is, um, op that is uh, collected every night uh, that you can put your offerings in if you like, or we can, you can go online through our website and give an offering that way. Um, we still are, are uh, you know, having to sustain our, our building and our staff. And uh, God uh, uses our offerings not only to do that, but even in the broader sweep of things, uh, he uses us to extend the purposes of his kingdom through our giving. And there are a lot of places that we do that. And one in mind, just for a second, are the votes uh, who have been trying to return back from Tanzania. And last Sunday, uh, they had a depressing Easter because they were ready to go and they couldn't um, get on a plane because they closed the border. Uh, as it turns out, they may be returning possibly uh, this week, uh, fingers crossed and prayers given uh, so that they can um, come back during this time. Uh, but uh, if it, however it plays out, they're trusting that the Lord will, will help and he will prevail. I'm going to include a link uh, to their video that they've given on an update. And if you want to click on that, that's for uh, Rich and did I say Debbie? I meant Rich and Sarah uh, vote and their son, Jonathan in Tanzania, who we support as missionaries. Keep them lifted in your prayers. And uh, as, uh, as we gather uh, next week, I'll look forward to that time. But until then, if you have any needs or concerns or anything like that, uh, I'm still coming into work, into the office and Brittany's still working from her home. And, and Brian is, uh, in and out as well. So uh, that's uh, our staff. And then our elders are always available for prayer or for anything that you have on your heart that you need encouragement with. Take some time, call another believer, encourage them in the faith, and just help them to know 
that the life of Jesus is living in you and uh, can bless them as, uh, as you engage with one another. Till then, take care and God bless.